It's really good to see everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Um, we'll read our scripture text for today and kind of review a few things that we've been talking about in the past couple weeks. I haven't seen you on a couple weeks. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and um, ask God to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. Your word is truth, and it's the very thing that gives us life, uh, hope, and peace. And I just pray for every man and woman in this room that you will allow us for the next few minutes to focus on those words, to think about their implications, and to use them to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus. Um, Help us now as we seek to know you more. Help us to take what we have learned today and assimilate it into not only our lives and words and thoughts and actions, but uh, give us the opportunity to share that light and love with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in our group, we've been studying the gospel uh, uh, of Jesus Christ. Remember, gospel means good news. We've been studying a harmony of the gospels. We've been going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, and taking all four of those accounts and uh, making them uh, help us to understand uh, the life of Christ, the, uh, his earthly ministry. Remember, he was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he arose from the dead, right? That's called the, that's part of the Apostles' Creed, if any of y'all have ever said that. Mm-hmm. But the Apostles' Creed is simply a statement, credo, credo meaning I believe, right? That's what the word creed means, I believe. And we take that statement, Uh, as a profession of what we believe, but that profession comes straight out of Scripture. And so through studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, through studying Genesis to Revelations, we learn about the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he arose again from the dead. That's how we learn about him and how we know him more. So we um, have been studying the life of Christ and we had gotten to the point, last time we were together, if y'all remember, we, we left off in a cliffhanger, if you will. Remember, we had talked about the Mount of Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. We talked about the fact that Jesus was standing on the mountain in his in an expression of his glorification, uh, in his glorified uh, state. And Moses and Elijah were there on the mountain with him. Y'all remember that? And remember how Peter said, hey, let's build three booths here. Let's have a celebration for all three of you guys. And then we heard the Father's voice from heaven say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Remember that? Mm -hmm. So that's where we'll take up today. Let's look at Matthew chapter 17. We're going to focus. Did they end up building the three booths or no? No. No. Peter was chided for saying it. That's not. It, it's not about Elijah and Moses. It's about Christ. Yeah. And uh, uh, so that's actually a really good question because remember the tabernacle. What does anybody remember what the tabernacle was in the Old Testament? It was the uh, place of worship as they were traveling. Good. It was a. It was structure. a. It was a pack them up and move them church, if you will, right? Uh, uh, building. They would pack it up everywhere they would go, and they would rebuild. And so, the in John one, the, uh, John tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember, so a tabernacle is a dwelling place. It's a place where someone dwells. A tent is a place where someone dwells. Right? If you go camping, you dwell in a tent for the weekend. All right. Well, the tabernacle was the place that God's presence 
dwelt with the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So when Moses would go to the tent of meetings, to the ta- uh, tabernacle, why would he go to that tent of meetings? To meet with who? No. When Moses would go to the tabernacle in the wilderness, to meet with God. God. That's exactly right. It was a meeting place with God. And so when you get to John chapter 1, and it says the Word, who is the Word? Jesus. Jesus became flesh and tabernacled with us. So his flesh, right? What was the tabernacle made out of? Does anybody remember? No. Some of it. Yeah, some of it. But some of it was made out of animal skins, right? They made it out of animal skins. So when it says, so the animal skins was the place that housed the glory of God. And that, Jesus became... That was Jesus before... It, was, it wasn't God the Father, it was Jesus, right? Or was it, it was just God? It's trying to God. Yeah. Okay. But when John says in John chapter word that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, it's showing that the tabernacle was a picture of what Jesus was one day going to do. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. What was the tabernacle? It was the meeting place where the people of God went and met with God. Mm-hmm. So the tabernacle with us would be that we would be with Him. We would dwell with Him. him. Yes. Okay. That that God dwelt in the flesh, and that we dwelt with God. Mm-hmm. He became a man so that we could know Him, so that we could worship Him, so that we could understand Him, so He could show to us who He is. Okay. So Jesus. Uh, was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, we see Moses, we see Elijah. Peter gets all excited and said, Ooh, let's build three tabernacles for all three of you. And what did God the Father say? This is my son. Listen to him. So, um, does anybody remember what we said that Moses represents in the Bible? What does he represent, Moses? <laughs> he is a prophet. Priest? No, his brother. Um, children of Israel? The children of Israel could be, yep. How about, what What did God give to Moses? The Ten Commandments. The what? Not only the, the Ten Commandments, the law. So the Moses law. represents the law. Mm-hmm. Right? Moses represents the law. And what about Elijah? What does Elijah represent? Michael, you want to give your answer again? The prophet. Very good. Right? So Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus is the thing, or he is who the law and the prophets point us to. Does that make sense to everybody? So Jesus is really the summation or the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Okay, so uh, when Peter says, let's build three tabernacles, our Father who art in heaven said, what? No, this is my son. Listen to him. He will explain to you the law and the prophets. He fulfills the law and the prophets. He is everything that the law and the prophets point to. So listen to him. So there's oftentimes in the New Testament where Jesus would say something like this. Moses said to you, fill in the blanks, but I say, 
So think about what Jesus is implying by that. Moses said to you, but I say. Now, would Jesus ever say anything that was contrary to what Moses said, taught in the law? Hmm. Moses? No. Would Jesus ever say anything that contradicts no. Moses in no. the law? No. Why? Because he's the one that gave it to Moses. And if Jesus contradicts the law, if Jesus contradicts Moses, what is he doing? He's, he's conflicting with his own word, his own truth. So Jesus would never say anything that conflicts with Moses. What about the prophets? Would Jesus ever say anything that conflicts with the prophets. No, but that's what I'm wondering. If Moses said you can divorce and Jesus said you can't divorce, Good. isn't that a conflict? That's, no, it's not a conflict because this is what it... So Moses said unto you, uh, in, in Genesis it said, a man should uh, leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two should become one and let no man divide what God has put together, right? But what Jesus said was what? Did Jesus say that divorce was okay? No. No. What Jesus said was that divorce is a reflection of a fallen human heart. So the law pointed to what the God's standard or what God's uh, stance is on divorce. Jesus would never say anything that contradicts what his father said about divorce. You see you see how that works? Mm-hmm. The same way with the prophets. So none of the prophets would have said any. Jesus would have never said anything. Did he say ever say anything about the multiple wives? Because that was wrong. That was Mormon. What do you mean? Well, a lot of you know, there shall be no adultery. Right. But uh, like um, Abraham had Sarah, they had a concubine, but. You know what I'm saying? The, the and then, work, and the, then David had many, many, or Solomon had many. Did, did Jesus ever say anything about they that? Were more. Yes, because Jesus is God. Right. And God, all through his word, says that polygamy is wrong. Okay. You see, matter of fact, as you read the word of God, you see what the effects of polygamy are. Did you see all the dis, uh, uh, the disunity in the families and in the homes and back then. And there always was. And there was always explosion and always uh, tension and toil and, and deceit. And it was never enough. Right. It was always right. something, but it's so, just that they... So, yes. So, time. Jesus said, have you not read what Moses said, that a, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave his wife? So, what is Jesus doing? He's confirming what Moses said in Genesis about the state of marriage. Okay. He's confirming it. He's not denying it or changing it or altering it. Right. So, when Jesus would say, Moses said unto you, but I say, he's not contradicting Moses. He's revealing to us the full intent of what Moses said. Okay. Moses said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you if you even look on a woman, you've committed adultery. So what is God do? What is Jesus doing? He's saying it's not just about the the act of fornication; it's the heart behind the act is that is what God is looking at. Okay, y'all see how that works? He's amplifying it and making Moses yeah. more understandable. Murder, murder. Yeah, anything, right? If if you get angry at a man, you're guilty of murder because the heart behind murder. Is a heart of anger. 
So he's going, he's showing us the heart of the, the matter. All right. Now, and so we got a Mr. Edwards and them are having a rap concert over in there in the worship center. I, I guess that's what they're doing. Huh? That's they're doing that music in there now. So. Yes, Moses killed an Egyptian. He certainly did. And he suffered 40 years for it, too. All right, now, let's look. So, we have Moses, we have Elijah, we have Jesus, we have all three of them on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what does God the Father say? Listen to my son. So, what is what is God the Father doing? He is pointing us to Christ and saying He is the fulfillment and the end or the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Okay? So let's look at uh, Matthew 17, um, verses 8 through 13. That's where we're going to be focusing today. Matthew 17, verses 8 through 13. It says, And lifting up their eyes, this is the disciples, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things but I say to you that Elijah has already came and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they wished so also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist okay so today we're going to look at this passage um so Yes, Lori. I know. When it says Elijah must come, I'm having trouble. Okay, hold on. Hold on, Lori. Okay. It's, what verse is that? It is, I have a star by it and a question mark that I wanted to ask you. It is 10, 10. 10. All right, where are we? 17, 8. Oh, sorry. We'll get there, I promise, okay? We will get there. All right, let's look first at verse 8. Lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. So what has happened? They had this mountaintop experience with Jesus and had a vision of Jesus in his, all of his glory and Elijah and Moses there with him. Now what's happened? The vision has disappeared and now it is Jesus alone, right? And that's the way it's going to be at the end, right? All, all of the, the toil and the... the, the uh, brokenness of this world around us on that day when we stand before the lamb that was slain, the, the lion and the lamb, and we all bow down and worship him, it's going to be about Jesus alone, isn't it? It's going to be about him. <clears throat> and so, again, we need to be reminded that the law and the prophets always point us to Christ. Okay? When the disciples taught about Jesus being the Messiah, they always went to the Old Testament scriptures and showed us that Jesus was the Messiah through the law and the prophets. Right? 
Now you and I have a better picture of that now today because we have the New Testament and not only that, we have the very Spirit of God who inspired them to write what they wrote living in us and helping us to understand. So, it was them and Jesus alone. So now they're coming down off of the mountain and Jesus said to them, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. All right? Tell this vision to nobody. Right. Now, what is the vision? Good. All right. Now, how about, do we have these kind of things going on today? Do we have people that are telling people about visions that they have well, had? People tell yeah. people, well, I don't know if I'm, I don't. Well, like Mother Mary is not seen. There you go. That's a very good example of that, Michael. People yeah. go all over the world to, to little houses and little patches in the woods and Right, people see Mary in their toast and in their cereal. Like, there's all kind of places that people say that Mary came to them. That's very good. That's a good example of that. But the reality is, so what? What about these people that have these uh, experiences where they go to heaven, right? And then they sell books. Are they selling their visions? Yes. Yeah, they're they're trying to tell other people what their vision was about. But the reality is, they they're not real. They're, they're wasted for people to make money. But we are always drawn to those kind of things, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, really? Like, so um, so often we hear people... Sure. So often we hear people say, well, the way that you reach somebody for Christ is to share your testimony with them, right? To share your testimony with them. But the reality is your testimony is not going to save anybody. No. Right? It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God that save people. So what should it be that we are using to reach people for Christ? The Word, the word of God. Right? And that becomes, it becomes important to try to memorize, even if you can't just find it, memorize God's Word so when the situation come up, you can reference something that you've read in the Bible. Right. We're actually commanded to study to show ourselves approved. Workmen that, right? Workmen that need not be ashamed. And so... How often can we sit and watch a two-hour show on TV about people having visions of Mary all over the world, and we watch the whole show and be excited about it? But then we try to pick up our Bible and read for ten minutes, and we fall asleep on the end of page of our Bible. It's because the natural man wants these visions. The natural man wants this excitement. He wants to understand the mysterious, right? right. right? And there's an appeal to that, right? But it's the appeal. The appeal is to the mystery and not the truth. Because the truth is what saves us. The truth is what uh, conforms us to the name of Christ. The truth is what sanctifies us. The truth is what justifies us. And so what did Jesus say? Don't tell anybody about this vision. Now, is it a true vision that they had? Yes. And did they tell about it? Yes, Yeah, we're reading it. (laughs) Yeah, they did tell about it. But what did he say? Don't say anything about this until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. So don't tell anybody. Right? When you see something exciting, what happens when somebody says, now don't say anything about it. Oh, well, I got something to tell you, but you can't tell anybody. Yeah. Right? What is our immediate reaction? We got to find somebody that we can trust that we can tell that won't tell that we told. Because we cannot yeah. that right. Right? We get excited about things. And so, why is it that Jesus is doing this? Well, we know this. That five times in the New Testament, 
Jesus tells his disciples, don't say anything. Yeah, and other people as well. Yeah, don't say anything. Didn't, didn't he tell the lady at the well too not to say anything? Yeah. What, what, is, what is the point of that? What, why is Jesus telling people, don't say anything? Because he knows they will. They will. <laughs> well, he knows that they're going to, but what, what is the point for him wanting to keep silent? Why does he want them to keep silent? his time's not ready. Okay, the time is not fulfilled. And not only this, remember we've talked in the past about the people that chase after Jesus. What did he say? You're not coming to me because you want the truth. You're coming to me because you've got your belly full. Oh, yeah, right. Right? Right? A lot of people come to Bible study just because there's a free lunch. I ain't pointing a finger at anybody in this room. Right? But but the truth of the matter is, you you can get all of the homeless folks in the world to come to a free meal but then you ask them to do a little work you ask them to uh, to stay around and listen to the preaching of the gospel and it's like I don't know I got to get on back to what I was doing so so many of our decisions so many of our desires so many of our impulses are based on our fallen nature and Jesus knew that Jesus knew that people were looking for a show people were looking for the next new thing that was going to come over the horizon and Jesus was not a new thing coming over the horizon. Jesus was the truth. He was the the means that God would use to How redeem His people. For those people. Yeah, yeah, to to redeem the. And so Jesus is saying, and not only that, but He was trying to keep the people from these false concepts of the Messiah. How many people put their trust in politicians? How many people put their trust in a pope? How many people put their trust in polit in a political stance? Think about all of the people that were chasing after Donald Trump for the last what he was he president for eight years? Just four, four, four. Right. And not only that, but after four years of him, what was everybody? They was ready to kill him. And Biden and Harris was going to be the saviors of the world. And right? But you understand what happens. And that's been going on throughout the history of the world. We constantly look to men to save us. But why are people, why are people voting for Trump? Well, because why are people voting for Trump? Because, because he, in their eyes, in their eyes, he is protecting their ideals of what life is all about. Right? Why are people vote for Biden Harris? Because they, in what they're teaching and what they're espousing, they're going to provide for these people that are voting for them the very things that they think they need for life and to it's be. All and, and, and it doesn't matter on which end of the spectrum you are when it comes to politics. People look to men to solve their problems. That's what the, that's what the president's job is to do, to fix the economy. Well, the president, the president, if the economy was, if you if live in a great world, we would need a president. So that's where the president comes in and spray things. God, God puts men in the power to rule. And sometimes God allows evil men to be in power to rule. And that's what he's doing right now. Right. Yeah. I said about Trump. I said Trump. You evil man. But, but. So listen. You say, okay, so right listen. Right here at this very table, you you hear the problem, don't you? We, we all we all have 
our ideas of what a good life would be about. And instead of looking to God to provide it for us, we look to men to provide it for us. But so back to the point. Back to the point. Back to the point. Jesus is the Messiah. And what did His saving the world look like? Him coming and dying on a cross. He gave us salvation. He came and died on a cross. But what were the Jewish people looking for in their Messiah? They were looking for a political conqueror. One who was going to come in and abolish all the crooked politicians and set them up as rulers in the world. Right? To set them up as rulers in the world. And that's what all fallen men are looking for. And so Jesus, Jesus wanted those who those who were looking for him to be those who worshiped him in spirit and in truth and they were looking for a different kind of messiah and so if they go around and share all of these wow wow stories about him about how he's throwing demons out of people and how he's curing lepers and how he's raising the dead and and raising paralyzed people and, and visions of him and Moses and Elijah on mountaintops, then instead of the people coming to him for the truth, they come to him for the mystery and the excitement. You see how that works? And so Jesus is like, no, I don't want those people coming after me. I want those people to come after me who are being drawn by the Spirit of God, not by the Spirit of this age or by the world and the flesh and the devil. So Rodney, Remember the, the book's talking about um, who can't live? Um, Jairus. He can't fight against the Roman Empire. Him and his soldiers. Man, Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah, so he was looking for a warrior. That's what he was, I mean, like, him and his, at that time, Jerusalem was under pressure against the Romans, so Jairus came to him, you know, you know what I mean? He would follow him, you know what I mean? Fought the Romans, but Jesus said, he, he didn't come, you know what I mean? In a sense, you know what I mean? To fight battles. I don't know what you mean. It wasn't about what I mean. God was something to me. Listen. Jesus came to fulfill the will of his Father. And the miracles that he did were a proof of who he said he was. The miracles were a proof of the truth of who he is. But Jesus was seeking those to chase it, follow him. Because they were seeking truth, not because they were seeking proof. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That when the truth draws you, it's no longer your eyes that you trust, but your heart. It's no longer your hunger, your physical hunger that you trust. It's the truth, and that's who Jesus was looking for. So five times he tells people, "Don't say it's me." Because it was all going to be proven in the end. And, and what, is the, what is the proof that he is who he says he is? What is the true, what is the, the, the visible proof that he is who he says he is? Right now or while he was alive? Uh, any, any, whenever. The change in my heart is proof enough for me. Okay. Nope. What is, what, is the, what is the final statement? That he is. Yeah. What is the final conclusive statement that he is who he says he is? He rose from the dead. Very good. All right. So look back at verse. Hundred times. Look at verse nine again. 
As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them and said, Tell the vision to no one until. So are they going to be able to tell it? Yes, but when? After he rises from the dead. And if you remember, even after he died on the cross, even after he rose from the dead, his disciples still had a hard time believing that name. Remember mm-hmm. Down Thomas? Yeah. Yes, but then Get John had a moment, right? Yep. Everybody has that. John, but he did. Everybody does. Everybody has that. So what is the proof that Jesus is who he said he was? What did he say? He said, if, he said, if you destroy this body, in three days I'll raise it up again. And what did they say? It took us 40 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days. And again, so what, what does that show us? It shows us that the gap between human understanding... Well, and Jesus and who is. Their hearts weren't open at all. Good. So, one question. If, if Elijah ascended into heaven, how come his bones were there in Israel? Remember they threw a man's body on his bones and it came back to life? But, but when was that? That was Elijah's bones while King David was fighting. But his... But his King Saul. But it didn't say that it was his bones. It said it was his, his tomb. It, it was a vision of him. Right? Is a vision physical? I thought The vision of Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the mount. Want me to Google it? No, I don't, no. <laughs> The vision of Jesus and Elijah and Moses on the mountain. Was that, a, was that physical? Was it, could you could you think Peter? Do you think Peter? Do you think Peter, James, and John could have ran over and shook Moses' hand? No, no, no. I think it was Jesus allowed no, them to see. No, because their bodies. A hologram. Remember, their bodies hadn't been raised from the dead yet. Why do we know their bodies hadn't been raised from the dead? Because of what we're fixing to find out. Because we're going to find out that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. But they recognized them, even though they were in spirit. Sure they did. So so here's the question I have for you. Um, What is your hope? Like, In in other words, what is your hope right now today? What, What do you hope for? What is it that you hope for? A Harley. A Harley. This man said he wants a Harley. All right? What is it that you hope for? Now, a lot of... Go to heaven. All right? Listen. Guys, y'all, y'all stay with me. All right. My right. This man said, my hope is to go to heaven. All right? Anybody else? What is your hope? The American dream. The American dream. Yeah, right? Big fence. A house paid for. My bills paid for. Money in the bank. Okay, good. Anybody else? What are some other hopes that we have? To be able to take care of your parents. All right. What about this one? Um, what about? Uh, now my children said I have so many. My children, what about world peace and just yeah. to have no, a no, world? No, no, happen. Greed, politicians. Okay. Good. All right. I think that's beyond okay. Okay. That's beyond All right. But listen, in the Bible, we are taught about something called the Great Hope. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, a lot of people think that the great hope is the return of Christ. And in a sense, it is. Because we are hoping for him to return. Why are we hoping for him to return? Who is the great hope? Jesus is the great hope. Why are we hoping for him to return? Because what's going to happen when he returns? The dead are going to be raised. Right? The goats and the sheep are going to be separated. The goats are going to hell. And the sheep will inherit what? 
the new heavens and the new earth. Why would Google to hell? Unbelievers. Ghosts are not believers. She's part of the oh. believers. That's a bad yeah. yeah. Oh, I see a goat breeding. I have no idea. All right. So watch. So watch. Good analogy. Why is that the great hope? Because we live in a world where most people would be honest and answer just like you answered. Why does a person want to go to heaven? Because they want to get away from all of this mess. I don't want a body that hurts and gets sick anymore. I don't want a body that I got to worry about what I eat. I don't also, want a body. We know that we're all going to die, and where do we go then? We hope to go to heaven. Right. But, we die but there's more to it than the body going in the ground and us going to heaven. There's more to it. And the greater hope is this that one day this physical body that has fallen apart on me is going to be restored, and I'm going to have a new body. I'm going to have a new spirit. Now we can already have a new spirit if we're born is it again, a sin right? To be cremated? Uh, I don't know. If you have to ask a question about it, there's probably something wrong with it. But there's people burned out this year. A lot of my family has been cremated. It makes me worry. Why? Why does it make you worry? I don't know. I don't understand. Good. So listen, she's asking. She's asking a really good question. Why is it that that's not right? Is it the Bible? Because the truth of the matter is, is that deep down inside of every one of us, we know that when Adam, deep down in us, we know in our nature that we were created to live forever. We know that death is not something that is natural. Right. Death sucks. We go to a funeral, we cry, we grieve for years. Um, sometimes, if you, I, I have a, a neighbor, I know I have a neighbor who's been married for 40 years. Her husband just died. And she has made up her mind that she is never going to be able to enjoy life again, ever. My mother's right? the same way. So, death is something that impacts all of us. And we know it's not natural. It makes us sad. It makes us grieve. It makes us ball up our fists and, and cry out to God, why are you doing it? You see how that works? We know that death is not natural. The great hope is that Jesus has come and through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his work on the cross... He has redeemed a people for himself. And those people are going to be restored to the... So even the martyrs that died and burned at the stake sure, will be restored. Sure, so but we are going to be, it's not a sin. But we are going to be restored to who we were before we fell. And we are going to be given a new heaven and a new earth and a new body and an eternal, immortal life that is intended to go on forever with no pain, no suffering... No sickness, no sorrow. But as you notice, all of us in this room get trapped into wanting a Harley or wanting to get out of this body and escape this mess that we're in. When in reality, the great hope is about God returning us to what He has purchased for us on that cross. A new body, a new spirit, an eternal life, a new heaven and a new earth. A world that doesn't die, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't have wars, that doesn't have peace. So all of those things that people are looking for in a political Messiah, our true Messiah, Jesus, has already... There'll be no need for politics. Notice about me, though. So, well, well, there'll be one king on earth. So watch. The work that Jesus has done for us on the cross is providing for us everything that we could ever need, hope for, or imagine. And we already have it. It's already ours. It's already ours, but we can't enjoy it fully yet. Why? Because we are still in these fallen bodies. We are still in this fallen world. And what is the great hope? 
that one day he's coming to restore that for us. So let's turn over really quickly. So, um, but you didn't don't pass my question. What is your question? About we, we're uh, not there yet. Uh, okay. We, we might we might have to wait one more week, and I don't think we oh, no. and I don't think we have class next week because we have Thanksgiving, right? I was yeah. All right, so turn with me yeah, to first. You can't make it work, then we'll take it off. First Corinthians, I could be here next week on Tuesday. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. You can be here, we will come. Alright. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Y'all ready? Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. Starting verse one. First Corinthians fifteen, verse one. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Alright? So... Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. What would Paul have been talking about in the scriptures? The law and the prophets. And what is he saying? That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does that mean? Everything about Jesus' death on that cross was prophesied and detailed in the Old Testament before he ever came along. And he had to die that exact same way. He had to have one of his disciples um, uh, disavow him and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. He had to be nailed to a cross. He had to have people gamble for his clothes. Right? Why? Because all of those things were predicted and prophesied. It was prophesied, now. but God gave that prophecy to the prophets. So yes. Yes. So he knew what was going on before Christ died, and how did he die? He died according to the scriptures, and he was then what? Buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. So um, I just I just read last night. Um, a famous preacher from the uh, 1800s uh, said it like this. He said that our death, that our burial, right, you're going to have to keep that closed, Lord. We're about, done. Here, We're about done, and they got all that music going. So, think about this. We got five minutes. <coughs> five minutes, and we'll be done. You can make it. <laughs> all right. So, so, think about this. He said that. This man said, death is like taking a bath. That we are submerged in the ground and that we come out clean clean and anew. So, baptism is a picture. Well, if you're a Baptist, baptism is a picture. If you're you're a Baptist, if you're truly submerged in baptism, your baptism is a a picture of what? Life, death, and resurrection in Christ. I don't know so much about you sprinklers, but the reality is that if you're baptized by submersion, it's a picture of you dying, right? It's a picture of you being buried in the ground and raised again with Christ. So, he was buried and he was raised again according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. That's Peter. So he showed himself to disciples. Now, why did he show himself to disciples? 
to prove, right, that he is who he said he was. And did they believe him? Yes, but did they did they just take it with a grain of salt? Oh, oh, that's really cool. No, they were like shocked and amazed and had a hard time grasping the realities of what had happened. Why? Because in our fallen nature, in our fallen bodies, in this busted world we live in, resurrection from the dead is not something that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's why we still grieve when we bury our parents. It's why we grieve when we bury a child. It's why we grieve when the world around us is falling apart. Because death is not natural. But Jesus came to conquer death. He came to conquer the world. He came to conquer the flesh. And He came to conquer the devil. And to me and you right now, even this very day, it doesn't feel or look like that. But the truth of the matter is, it's real. And he is sitting on a throne in heaven waiting for his father to make his enemies his footstool. And for all of those who have trusted in Christ, for all of those who have been born again, but all children of God, we have a hope that this world simply cannot take from us. And it might not look like it, and it might not feel like it, but that hope is there. And that's what Paul is saying here. He said, after that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time, most of who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So what does it mean? Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to over 500 people. And remember, when he came back from the dead, when he rose from the dead, when he (coughs) rose from the dead, he only showed himself to believers. Mm -hmm. No non-believers got to see him in his post-resurrection body. Why is that? Because we see through faith. Right? And so he said this. Um, Yes. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. He appeared to James and then to the other apostles. And last of all, to one untimely, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called by God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove in vain. But I labored even more than all of them. All right. So it says, verse 12, if Christ is preached... That he has been raised from the dead. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so if there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not come back. Yeah. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. So what it means is, if Jesus did not come up back from the grave and arise and ascend into heaven, then what preachers have been preaching for the last 2,000 years is a bunch of empty fluff. And the faith that you have, the hope that you have, is just empty air. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, what does that mean for everyone? That we die and that's the end. There's no hope. And that's what he's going to say right here. He says, Moreover, if we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ from whom he did not raise, and in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Think about that. What is he saying? 
If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then all of your family and your friends that you go to the funerals and tell them to rest in peace, there is no peace. Because it's just death in the end. There's no hope beyond this world. If we have hoped in Christ, and we kind of know that there's something after yes. this. Yes. I mean, everybody. If we, knows. so we're going to finish with this verse, verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ, in this life only, we are men most pitied indeed. Should should be most pitied indeed. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But to have hope in Christ is beyond this life. That's exactly right. But remember in the remember what he told his disciples. Don't go around telling people what I've done. Why? Because Jesus did not want people hoping in this life. Oh, okay. He wanted us hoping in him who is life and who is eternal life. Because this world that we live in is temporal and it's going to end. And if our hope, if you are today, this very day, are placing your hope in anything in this world, then just as Paul said, you are a man most miserable indeed. Our hope needs to be in who? Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Our hope needs to be in Christ Jesus. And where is he right now this very second? Ruling and reigning in heaven, sitting on the throne in heaven. Amen. Why is that a hope for me? Because the same truth that said that he died, the same truth that said he rose from the dead, the same truth that said he ascended into heaven is the very same truth that said he is coming back to claim all of us. Amen. That he is the first fruits and that everybody that will be raised after him will follow after him in that eternal hope, that eternal glory, that eternal life, that new heavens and that new earth is all established in him. So what does it show us? It shows us that the law and the prophets all point to Christ and they all point to the eternal hope that we have in Him. And so often we are focused on the temporary things of this world and we are so focused on the temporary things of this world that we can't see the beauty of the eternity that has been promised to us. We lose sight of that. So now go back to the Mount of Transfiguration what did Peter say? Oh, look, there's Moses. Oh, look, there's Elijah. Let's build them a tabernacle. And what did his father say? What did God's father, Jesus' father say? No, this is my son. Listen to him. See, now Jesus doesn't say anything that contradicts Moses. No. Or Elijah. But Moses and Elijah only make sense through him. That he is the summation and the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament promises and of the law. And it's in him that we need to put our trust. And so I hope this will encourage you because the world that we live in is not offering us any encouragement. Mm-hmm. And so often, it's like every one of us in this room can admit, our lives have been ripped apart because we chase after things in this world instead of chasing after Christ. We pursued the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We lost sight of the blessed hope that we have in him. And we need to make sure that we're in him. We need to make sure you believe him. Make sure that you have received him and believe him. Make sure that you have turned your back on the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that you are trusting in Christ and him alone for your salvation. And once you have that salvation, enjoy it. We are seated with him in heaven right now. It don't feel like it, but we are.
because his promises are that good. We have a hope today. We have a hope for tomorrow. And we have a hope for eternity that this world cannot give us. I have a hope for next week that we'll get to my question. And and Lori has a hope for next week that we'll get to our question. All right. So next week we'll find out why Jesus said Elijah has already come. We'll find, I promise you that it next week. It says Elijah must come. They were asking. Elijah, no, it says Elijah must come, and then it says later on it says and Elijah has already come. Right. So we got to. So it sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. He says he will come, and he's already come. But it was in the old description. But we'll get to All that. Right. Next so week. here's a hand for you, Lord, and then we'll close with a prayer. Okay. <laughs> Our salvation has already come. Our, our salvation our salvation has our salvation will come and our salvation has already come Elijah will come Elijah has already come our salvation will come our salvation has already come so there's something for you to meditate and think on how is it that Jesus can say Elijah will come and Elijah has already come well the answer is in the fact that you your salvation will come, and your salvation has already come. All right? There's something for you to all think about this week. So repeat that to me, Lauren, and make sure you got it. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear me? No, you didn't hear me because you I were did. thinking. No, you were thinking in your head. You were, Elijah already come. And Elijah will come. Will come, and he has and already, already come. come. He's My already been here once. I get that. Okay. All right, so one. So think but about the scribes are saying that Elijah has to come. That first Elijah must come. All right. So first Elijah must come. So is it worded? So we'll do it next week. All right. So watch. <laughs> Elijah will come. He must come. And Elijah has already come. Right, but it says he must come first. Okay. So the word first is in there. Your salvation mm-hmm. will come, but it must come first. It's, it's really going to be about the same thing. <laughs> All right, we'll think about that next week. Come back. Father, thank you for this time together. Yes, thank you for a chance to discuss your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. Lord, help us to turn our backs on the world, our flesh, and the devil, and to trust in you and your promise alone. Help us to realize that we now have a salvation. We will soon have a salvation, that, that your salvation must come. But your salvation has already come. And we need to be able to enjoy uh, both of those realities. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.